0: movies wow we've only done that 170 times not including bonus content (laughs) you'd think we'd we'd be good at it at the 215th time but uh just goes to show you as jeff Tweedy once said when i saw them uh uh, live at sasquatch and uh you know uh, uh one of their songs just kept going and going and going they said uh it's proof that you can do a song for 11 years and not remember how it ends yeah Practice doesn't always make perfect. Mm-hmm. I've seen Wilco twice live. Once they were great. Once they were garbage. Guess mm. which one was garbage? The one where they couldn't remember how the song ended. <laughs> how awkward. Yeah, it just kind of kept going. And it wasn't like they were like in a jam. They weren't like grateful deading it up. It was just like the same hook and the same riff. And it like didn't evolve. It didn't build. It just was like, uh, oh, this riff again. They just kind of kept looking at each other and shrugging like, Oh yeah, go! Yeah, you can't just do the fade out on on a live show. Yeah. You gotta you gotta actually figure out how it ends. But when I saw them open for REM, they were great. oh but uh, yeah. How um, was REM? Uh, also great. Oh, okay. REM put on a hell of a show. Oh, nice. Yeah, wow. Michael Stipe is one of the people that I cite when instead of doing LGBTQA blah 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 blah, uh-huh. we just say queer. Oh yeah. Uh, I got that from him. Because he's just like, I just, I don't know if identify as gay or straight. I just identify as, as something other than those things. So I just say queer. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I like that. Speaking of queer things, Matt, we had somebody make artwork for us that's very queer. <laughs> yeah. I posted this recently, but uh, dates back to our uh, <laughs> uh, There's Something About Kevin episode. Uh-huh. Uh, someone put <laughs> Tilda Swinton's face on the, there's something about Mary, like Cameron Diaz's body. <laughs> And it is a little terrifying. <laughs> it's a DVD that you're going to
1: rent if you see it. <laughs> That's when you're like, well, I have to know what this movie is about. This is like, wow, I-, I think I know what that something is. <laughs> Thank you, anonymous user. We say, maybe I don't know. We don't know their name, right? It just said their... Uh... Well,
0: we have an email name. I don't know if we... I'm always a little hesitant to just give out email names. Right. Well, they also gave you their phone number and bank accounts. Should we say that? And social security
1: number. Maybe that's a thing we should save.
0: (laughs) Yeah. There there was like fine print in the email that said, uh, by tweeting any of the contents of here, you forfeit your right to individual liberty and perpetuity throughout the universe.
1: Oh, Um, yeah.
0: And yeah. So I think there's something. Well, I wasn't using those anyway. (laughs) It's fine, <laughs> your individual liberties, yeah. yeah. He also sent a, a video from the movie Possession, which I believe you have not seen. I haven't seen it yet, no, but uh, I know well, about it. Buckle up, buddy, because it's it's on the agenda somewhere oh, on the lines. But it's with director commentary. And that for anyone who's seen the movie Possession, there's a very memorable, probably the most memorable scene that takes place like in an alleyway,
1: uh-huh.
0: and uh, the actress, uh, Isabella Anjani, really acts her ass off in that scene. And the director is talking about, it. he's like, Yeah, I don't think this is any like worse than what other actresses have to do. Like, I'd say this is more pleasant than having to pretend to be attracted to Michael Douglas. <laughs> which we covered <gasps> which, on Basic yeah, Instinct. I was, which I was going to say, point taken. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Polish director whose name I can't pronounce. <laughs> Andrzej Jouawski. You watched that clip then? I did, yeah. And, but you haven't seen the movie, so no, it has I'm, no yeah. context? I'm just like, she's melting, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> put a pin in it, Kay.
1: listeners. I cannot keep track of our pins anymore, by the way. <laughs> Once in a while, I'll put a big one in because we say put it. we're doing that later. And I, we
0: might do it later, and I might forget to unpin it. Oh, God. Don't at me. This is We're just a pin cushion now. Yeah. We're just a voodoo doll. Come. The... the we don't know what's been stuck in. We're like we're the person, and uh, our pins are in the voodoo doll. Oh. We can only feel the pain. We can't actually, like, see the pins. Yeah, Matt, Ryan, this is episode 170. Good
1: few. God, Ryan. Can you
0: believe it? Yeah. Today, we are doing a double feature, like we do on every 10th episode. Oh. Double feature. And this time, it came around that we're going to celebrate another great, great actress. Oh, you know it. In the pantheon of actresses that we have celebrated, we have Gina Gershon. We have Parker Posey. Uh. We have Angelica Houston. Uh. And we have Joan Cusack. Uh. (laughs) So added to that great list is the dame herself, Helen Mirren. Mirren, Mirren on the wall. Who's the... Yeah, fairest of them all. She's a beauty. Oh, yeah. We've all I... seen that, that bikini photo of her. There's a joke in 30 Rock where Liz Lemon like marches into Jack's office and she's looking all upset about something. And Jack's like, Oh, my.
1: I haven't seen your brow that furrowed since you saw that picture of Helen Mirren in a bikini.
2: How is it possible? Is she a wizard? A
1: question for another time, Lemon. She won 2004 Naturalist Magazine's Naturalist of the Year because she herself is a naturalist.
0: She likes being naked. Oh, yeah. I mean, she, it was only in like 2017 that she swore off doing nude scenes anymore. <laughs> uh, or 2015. She was 70 years old and she's like, I'm done doing nude scenes. Uh. And I'm like, wow. She had to make that declaration at 70 because she got naked in a calendar girls, if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's very comfortable with her body. She's staunchly no kids. Right. I, I think she's quoted as saying that she doesn't have a materialistic urge in her body. Maternalistic, I think. Yes. What did I say? Materialistic. I yeah. think that's what you said. I, that's that's why I heard it. We'll check back the, she tape. Could we'll be check a, the tape. She could be a Madonna. <laughs> she could be a Madonna. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Which, uh, yeah. I Hello. No more kids, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, she's just like I wouldn't be able to like have pursued the career that I wanted to if I had kids. I got nothing against kids. I like my nieces and nephews. Yeah, but uh, for me, it's just not my thing. I love her. Yeah, she also uh, is an atheist.
1: Oh yeah, so, checking off a lot of boxes for me here. She's like she's a uh, not anti
0: kids. I mean her kids. She's an atheist. She's a naturalist. Mm-hmm. She's a Prince fan. The week after Prince died, she went to the White House correspondence Dinner in a full purple dress and a temporary tattoo that she put on her own chest of the, the Prince symbol, which I was just like, that is so perfect. It was just like no one else there was doing that. Like, she stood out from everybody. And I was like, oh. And what a, like, just a fun way to remember Prince. Yeah. Cool lady. Um, she's got a little tattoo of a spider web in the corner of her hands. Hmm. Yeah, she's just a cool lady. There's an interview with her in, like, the 1970s, and uh, it's in England, and the interviewer, like, basically asks, like, have you found that, like, having such, like, big breasts is distracting for the male members of the audience? And she just, like, rips him apart. Big bosoms, is that what you mean? Well, I think that they
2: might sort of detract from the performance, if you know what I mean. Really? (laughs) Uh, I, I can't think that can necessarily be true. I mean, what a crummy performance if uh, people are obsessed with the size of your bosom or anything else. I would hope that uh, the performance and the play and the living relationship between all the people on the stage and all the people in the audience overcome such boring (laughs) questions.
0: And she's like, alright, if I had a big dick, would you ask me if that was distracting to the the lady members of the cast? Mm. She's just no bullshit i don't know i just i love her i love her and we'll talk about like why as we get into the yeah, the yeah, episodes yeah. themselves but yeah she's been knighted i don't know if you say knighted when it's a lady D- damed damed <laughs> damed if you do damed <laughs> if you yeah. don't something like that yeah oscar winning helen Mirren. Uh she's almost an EGOT
1: winner she just needs to get that grammy and then she's got them all
0: Ah, uh, that might be tough though no you don't think she's a singer i've never heard her sing before I guess you can win a Grammy for Best Spoken Word album. There
1: you go. Or comedy, stand up comedy. That's how yeah. Whoopi
0: got hers, so I mean let's all be real here. Whoopi it's a daytime Emmy. It's two cows. Girls gotta
1: eat. Maybe she could you could get a Grammy for producing or writing a song. She doesn't have to perform it.
0: Well yeah, that's how uh like Richard Rodgers got his is like he wrote a song, and it got used in a movie, and it got used in a play, and yeah. like that, that's the best way to EGOT, is to be yeah. like a songwriter.
1: Well, one of the um, executive producers of our first movie today is uh, Scott Rudin, who is an EGOT winner, and he's the first producer to ever win it, so maybe she oh. could just uh, produce something that was Grammy
0: award-winning. Uh, she has a master class that I, I, I want to take, I want to know about. I mean, I've seen the ad for because those Masterclass ads are really addicting. They just show up because you always talk about it and you have an Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, today's first movie, The Queen. The Queen, from 2006, directed by Stephen Frears. Woo, Stephen Frears! Yeah, yeah! we got a big Stephen Frears apologist in the room, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, someone in the room liked Florence Foster Jenkins, even. Hey, hey! <laughs> you know what? I, you know, okay. So,
1: watching it this time, I was like, "Can I defend this movie?" Because it's The so, Queen. Yeah. Well, just anything Stephen Frears has done since, I don't know, 2005, maybe.
0: Okay. Because it's all just, like, fluff, like, British fluff. I know, like, the the opening scene, or maybe not the opening scene, the opening scene is when she's, like, getting her, like, right. portrait taken. Right. Which is pretty fluffy, but uh it, it's probably the next scene when they're, like, preparing for Tony Blair to come in and ask to be prime minister. Yeah. Or, rather, she's supposed to ask him. Right. uh And they're just being, like, bitchy, gossipy, like... <laughs> Caddy gay people, basically. <laughs> yeah.
1: And the atmosphere at Downing Street is expected to be very informal. Everyone on first name terms, at the Prime
2: Minister's insistence. What? As in, call me Tony. Tony. Oh, I don't like that.
0: You know, it's all those like things that you associate with British culture, like being so like highfalutin and hoity-toity, and you know, even that like uh, servant who was like walking Tony Blair and his wife. Up to to meet the queen, ma'am, as in hem, not mom, as in farm. <laughs> yes, that's what we say when we're in Her Majesty's presence. <laughs> but at the same time, like this is what people watch, you know, Downton Abbey for, just like the class warfare uh, going on. Like that's what we love. This, I mean, uh, somewhere
1: midway through the movie, I was just like, "How low are these stakes?" <laughs> no. Like, oh no. The people might like the queen a little less. Yeah, like, (laughs) I
0: think her most unpopular was, like, one in four people (laughs) thought the monarchy should be disbanded. it was (laughs) devastating (laughs) for her. She had a 25% disapproval rating. Oh, my. (laughs) It's
1: just... But you know what? Okay, so coming right back around... The world needs movies like this. Like, oh, sure. I want to put, sometimes I just want to put on two hours of something where I know nothing's really going wrong, but like it's
0: well made and entertaining. Well, I mean, it's well acted. Like I've seen this movie probably 10 times at this point. Oh, wow. Okay. It came at a formative year in my life when I saw it initially. It's like, I remember seeing the trailers in theaters. I'm like, oh, that looks really good. And it, I mean, it's total Oscar fodder. Oh, yeah. And so I remember seeing it in theaters, and it was 2006, so it's, like, still in, like, the Bush years, right. and, like, I kind of came of age, like, mentally in regards to politics, like, you know, while I was in high school, like most of us do, and so, like, I came of age basically as 9-11 happened, mm. like, I was a, a junior in high school when 9-11 happened, and it was, like, immediately that there was, like, army recruiters in, like, the cafeteria and stuff like that and oh, out in wow. the hallways. Like, immediately. And, like, when I graduated in 2003, it's, like, everyone understood the concept that like, poor kids do the fighting. Like, they can't afford to go to college, so they enlist in the army. And, like, then they... Go off to war and like that's how the system works. Yeah. And so when this movie came out, you know, I graduated in two thousand three, but like we're still like two thousand six, we're still very much in the Iraq War and uh, Afghanistan. We still have two more years before Bush is voted out, and there was a lot of things about and it, the movie does that a thing that I normally hate, but because I was such a novice to like the monarchy. It was just right for me when I saw it. I didn't know anything about the queen. I didn't know how long she had been serving. I didn't know about her being like a mechanic in the war and stuff like that. And stuff like that kind of hit me hard while watching it. Like the idea that there once was a time when our leaders led by example. Because like with Bush, it was like all about his like draft dodging, like... Nepotistic. Nepotistic. You know, what it, uh what was it? Ann Richards said, uh, you know, poor george w bush he was born with a silver foot in his mouth mm-hmm. like that's what we've been dealing with for like six years at that point so the idea that someone who who never has to run for office like actually like came out of their castle and like went into the grease pits to like be a mechanic during the war kind of hit me hard yeah. and i was like oh fuck like a princess is a grease monkey like yeah. that's you know a it shows how bad things were but it also like shows how serious things were like she wasn't the queen at the time there was still a king but just the fact that like things were so hard that like she had to like give up the niceties of royal life and actually like work on shit and then you watch this movie and you get the idea that like she's maintained that knowledge
1: yeah hello
0: thomas
2: Uh, hello ma'am I'm afraid I've done something rather foolish. I've broken the prop shaft crossing the river. Are you sure, man? Yes. So, you know, of course I'm sure. It's the front one, not the rear. What's the four-wheel drive? Don't forget I used to be a mechanic during the war.
1: Well, that was like one of the big things about this movie, I think, was that like there was such a mystery kind of still surrounding the queen. Mm-hmm. And uh, this movie really humanized her in a way that I think most people hadn't seen Mm -hmm. before and i mean definitely me i think i just took my parents to it because i was like this looks like a safe thing to take your parents to when they were visiting and it is yeah oh totally it was the perfect movie yeah um but like i was surprised watching how much i enjoyed it too and just like yeah seeing this uh figure who i knew in the abstract Mm -hmm. kind of becoming three-dimensional to me so i liked that a lot yeah about it. Uh, I still I still like that about it I think that's one of its more fun aspects like I like it when when uh, there's one scene where uh, she's doing something and they pull in the tea and she goes tea <laughs> <laughs> tea
0: oh and her demeanor with her dogs
2: yeah I'll take the dogs
0: Yes. Like she's so much warmer with her with the dogs than she is with Prince Charles, who's such a wuss in this movie. I mean, maybe he's All a right. wuss in real life, but like what a weenie.
2: <laughs> that was always the extraordinary thing about her. Her weaknesses and transgressions only made the public love her more. It ours only made them hate us. Why is that? Why do they hate us so much? Not us, yeah. What? Hmm?
0: So we had already decided to do Mirror Mirror on the Wall, but a couple weeks ago, Helen Mirren was on Mark Maron's podcast. Oh, and then, what the fuck! So it's just coincidence, and she talked about a lot of this stuff. Okay, and it was it was real good insight because, like, Helen Mirren's parents were were uh, anti-monarchists. Like, oh. they don't yeah they don't believe in the monarchy, and uh, Stephen Frears doesn't either. Yeah, I love him. <laughs> Sorry, he's <laughs> got a big boner. <laughs> <laughs> so they're making the movie, and the thing that they kept kind of having to repeat while they were uh, making it was like. While they're anti-monarchist, they are queeness. They all collectively respect Queen Elizabeth II, and then not so much for the rest of the monarchy, like yeah. the, the the Royal Prince of Wales or whatever her husband is, and Prince Charles and things like that. Like they didn't hold any esteem for those people or really for the institution itself. But like they do hold respect for Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah. Uh, she takes her
1: job very seriously, super seriously. Yeah. I don't know when how old she was when she stepped into the throne, but it was pretty young, as she I was like remember.
0: Nineteen or something yeah. like that. Yeah, and
1: uh, yeah, her first prime minister was Winston Churchill, uh-huh. so, as we learned from the movie. As I learned from the movie, you obviously know my job better than I do.
2: Yes, well, you are my tenth prime minister, Mister Blair. My first, of course, was Winston Churchill,
1: and she's had ten, uh, yeah, since and maybe or a, a few more since. Yeah. yeah, so probably upwards to like
0: like probably three or four more.
1: Yeah, at least like fourteen or so now. There's that whole, like, line when she's giving the speech and um, Tony Blair's speechwriter's like, "Uh, what a, get a load of this bitch, basically, and, and he's like, That woman
2: has given her whole life in service to her people. 50 years doing a job she never wanted. A job she watched kill her father. She's executed it with honor, dignity, and as far as I can tell, without a single blemish, and now we're all baying for her blood. All because she's struggling to lead the world in mourning for someone who who threw everything she offered back in her face and who for the last few years seemed committed 24-7 to destroying everything she holds most dear.
1: Regardless of how you feel about her, give her some respect. Yeah. And that's nice. (laughs)
0: This movie's nice. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It it really is. Uh, And I mean, there's so much like winking at the audience, like at the end when the Queen is like.
2: I gather some of your closest advisors were less fulsome in their support.
0: One or two. But as a leader,
2: I could never have added my voice to that chorus. Because you saw those headlines and you thought one day that might happen to me. And it will, Mr. Blair quite suddenly and without
0: warning. This movie came out, like, right at the height of uh, the anti-Tony Blair movement because, like, he had aligned himself with George W. Bush for the Iraq War. yeah. And, like, everyone, like, turned their back on him, like, right around this time. Yeah. But Helen Mirren also kind of talked about, like, her impression of the Queen. Okay. You don't need to know this to, like, enjoy it because, like, I've obviously enjoyed this movie for over a decade now but she did talk about like her impression of the queen and and like i think it informed her performance mm-hmm. she's like i think the queen is unimaginative deeply practical and i think that the happiest times in her life was when she was a mechanic during the war oh this is her imagining this is or... this is just helen mirren's perception okay. of like when she was doing research and like when she was like building the character in her head like cool, what cool, she what she thought the queen was like And so this is, like, the queen that, like, we're seeing on display here. It's like, yeah, she's not, you know, super creative. She's just very practical. But she said that the impression that she gets from her research is that the happiest times in her life was actually when she was a mechanic. Which does sort of fit in because, like, after Victory was declared, her and her sister put on regular clothes so that they could go out and celebrate with the British people, oh. unawares, like, that no, nobody would know that it was the princess and, and her sister, The you know, I guess that's another princess. Yeah, and the other princess. Because uh, they just wanted to go out with, like, the common folk and celebrate with them. Right. Which is also something that I think is so cool. Like, Definitely, yeah. I I love that idea. She's like a Jasmine from Aladdin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Helen Mirren's idea is that you know, if she wasn't the queen, if she was born just into regular plebdom, you know, if she, if she was just a, a proletariat like the rest of them, mm-hmm. that she would have just run a series of successful auto body shops with her and her husband and their 12 dogs. <laughs> Corgis have the cutest
1: butts, right? We can agree on that? Totally. They have, Corgis have cute butts. <laughs> there. I'm, I just want to go on the
0: record with that. <laughs> I just love, for all the queen's, like, prim and properness... The idea that, like, she does, like, the walking meeting with Tony Blair with all the dogs running around their feet. Yeah. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Like, I love it, but I was just like, I can imagine being, like, a stuck-up prime minister and being like, uh, can we go to a desk? <laughs> Do you think any of them ever get, like, humpy? No, she's got them well too trained. Oh, you, you think that, like, before they can come running and There's and that scene where come... they're having, like, the picnic or the barbecue, and, like, she throws food, and then she's like, wait, and they all just, like, sit there calmly, yeah. patiently. Like, she's got them
1: trained. Oh my god. Okay, so speaking of the like barbecue scene at the lake, there's like all these fun production design hints at like how privileged they are. Mm. And it's like they're just peppered throughout the movie and I love them. But like so for example, when they're at the um the lake scene right there, there is a full bar lined up with uh several different types of liquor set up with uh different types of glasses to drink out of mm. and ice. So it's like While they're roughing it, quote unquote, you can just go help yourself to, uh, you know, (laughs) tanqueray and tonic, if you like. Sure. Uh, That scene earlier when you're talking about when she breaks down in the river, that scarf she's wearing is a Hermes scarf, Oh, um, which, you know, can run upwards of... $8,000 $8,000 so I tried to research the exact one she's wearing in the movie and the closest one I can find was like 1200 bucks. but still she takes it off and wipes her nose with it <laughs> oh like wow whatever. that's a great little production design <laughs> yeah so just like stuff like that and I mean like like the obvious one is like when they're getting the call about Diana and like you see Tony Blair's home and then you see her home mm-hmm. and it's just like he's surrounded by like you know there's clothes everywhere. It looks very pedestrian. Oh, yeah,
0: tiny little kitchen, very domestic. Yeah. It's like he's the prime minister but he still lives in like a two-bedroom flat, like yeah. there's a mouse uh,
1: trap on the on the ground there. Th- it's
0: like they have a filing cabinet like in their little like book nook. Yeah. Like the, the the books on like the bottom shelf in the back would be otherwise inaccessible. Yeah. Yeah. But they need that filing cabinet, so uh-huh. it's got to go somewhere.
1: So just like that kind of stuff like it's never said that class war is going on, but you just see it. Like, you don't and, even... I mean, that,
0: and that's an important idea. Like when you're just sort of absorbing the movie, even if it's not being spoken of in literal senses, like you're still absorbing these. Yeah. Things.
1: I don't even need to know that he's labor party, you know? Yeah. Like, you just like, you can see it. In, yeah. Like the production design. It's so just clear. And like that stuff is, I mean, it's kind of, uh, it's a little low hanging fruit, but, you know, you could flub that too. And like, cause you could make the, uh, the queen side of it not look rich enough. Sure.
0: And it looks, you know, and there's, lush. little there's little details that, that I really like, like, the, uh, when her advisor comes in and he's got like a wicker basket that has like the documents yeah. and stuff. I'm like, this is really, cause that, that's the sort of thing where, like, it's so odd that it must be real. Like yeah. this must be how they transport Cares like in the papers. documents. Yeah. Yeah. I think he uh, even has gloves on. Yeah. So you're just like... The, and like, the, and it's also just like a level of opulence that you don't see on the Tony Blair side of things oh, where yeah. they're just passing papers back and forth. Yeah, his is like, like
1: the West Wing kind of. and like, Yeah. Yeah, hers is something else altogether.
0: But, I mean, one of the things that makes Helen Mirren's performance so relatable is like, so she has this idea of the Queen... And it's not, you know, none of that stuff is ever spoken. It's not like we have a monologue of the Queen saying, oh, if I could have been born into normal, I would have done this and this and this. Like, there's none of that in the movie, which is good.
1: Like, Well, good written script, right? I think it won, like, Best Script at the Golden Globes or something. It was nominated for Academy Award, too. but.
0: But I think because, like, the Queen, like, her idealized self is just, like... You know, grease monkey by day, go to the pub at night, then it's back home to the husband once the pub closes. Yeah. The fact that Diana gets labeled like the people's princess, I think uh. hurts her especially hard because like she's always kind of viewed herself as like a kindred spirit with the British people. Yeah. So the idea that Diana and they go at like great lengths to talk about how like diana like rejected everything that was offered to her that like nothing about like being part of the establishment interested her and that she she walked away from it all and she gets labeled the people's princess i think is something that like really hurt queen elizabeth
1: well and in the movie i don't know if this is true or not she's just trying to handle the tragedy as a personal tragedy she's not trying to be like well that's a royalty we need to worry about our subjects in this in this situation she's really trying to be like this is a family matter yeah and so like that makes sense like she's grounded in that way
0: yeah the, i mean the movie illustrates it really well that it's like you see the queen's point oh like, yeah she's not an hrh anymore like this is a family matter and you're like oh yeah that makes sense but then like all like the people on the street are like the fact that the flag isn't at half mass blah 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 and then they explain like why the flag isn't at half mass And it's like and it is that like disconnect just between like people thinking they know what should be, should be. And like that, the, the reality of it. And like those two things really colliding. And I mean, good on the queen for finally being like, you know,
1: it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Like like,
0: that's not what's important. Yeah. So it's like,
1: sure. You know, King George didn't get a flag at half mass, but it's like the perception via the people is that like, it should be for princess Diana. And so, Mm -hmm. and, does it matter? No, yeah. it does not. And so, like, yeah. At the to- end of the
0: day, it's just a flag. Like I know it's a symbol, and symbols are important. Yeah, but it is just a flag. And if it just if you can get through it, like I know that you shouldn't do what's just politically expedient every time, but you know sometimes you just got to bend your knee in this instance. Yeah, I hate that I'm doing this, but like I sympathize a little bit
1: with the royals in this because it's like why we've never done this. This isn't what it's for. Blah, blah, blah. But also like we're saying, like if it's just helping people, Mm -hmm. who gives a shit? Like Uh, what what are we trying to pretend anymore? Yeah.
0: It's like whenever she's asking one of the other royals for advice, it it always seems like they make great pains to show like how old and just like bitter they are. Like whenever they ask uh, like the queen mother for advice, she's like quite right. And like, (laughs) like (laughs) heaves herself up on her cane She's like, you should do what they say, <laughs> and uh, they'll
1: fall into line. <laughs> yeah, strong s- hand.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like they always just seem to like show how out of touch the royals are, and like how old they are.
1: The point is,
2: it's more than four hundred years old. Never been lowered for anyone. Your grandfather didn't get the flag at half mast when he died. And if your mother died tomorrow.
1: She wouldn't either. What's the name of her husband? Is it Prince uh, Edward or something? I can't remember. Yeah. (sighs) Anyway, he got COVID and then he came back from the hospital. And I swear to God, he looks like Lurch now. (laughs) He's scary looking, which, I mean, good casting with James Cromwell. Like, I love the guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Babe is a great movie. Sure. And he's great in it. Uh Um, And he's, you know, he's one of my favorite Star Trek bit (laughs) actors. But, like,. uh, He looks old and grumpy, and in this movie, I hate him.
0: Yeah. I hate him. Uh, Well, apparently, he's, like, super sexist in real life. He never finished The Crown, but uh, everything is just, like, how he was sort of a playboy and didn't take the role seriously and how, like, Queen Elizabeth had to, like, put him on a leash and, like, bring him to heel. Although, if you do Google, uh, did Philip fart, there's a series of pictures of, like, Prince Philip and, like, either Harry or, or one of one of Charles's kids, and they're, like, sitting on a balcony, and, like, you see Philip kind of smile, and then you see, like, the people behind him, so, like, Harry, like, turn away and, like, <laughs> cover his nose, and, like, the smile on Philip keeps getting bigger yuck yeah so apparently they were like overseeing something and philip just ripped some nasty one (laughs) so yeah listenership did philip fart that's all you have to google why
1: slash n (laughs) check only one what else i just okay so stephen frears let's i want to talk about him just a little bit sure if forced can i defend his his oeuvre yes because you know there's something to be said for What's better than competent? Just like if your lowest really competent, yeah. If your lowest grade is always a B, like that's great for me. Like he he had he has some great films. Let's drop another big pin. I'm doing Dangerous Liaison Sunday. Oh, so. of course.
0: Like it's just a race to see who does it first. <laughs> I mean, we've done the Grifters already. We've on done here. the Grifters, he's am- that. That's a great movie. He's
1: just he's got a feather light touch. Like everything. I watch of his just feels exquisite to me in like the the breeziest sense i mean it's like it's not flashy direction it's not even something you'd you'd necessarily regard as special but when you watch it and when you watch closely it's just like this is so well made like a great example is just the fucking opening title card she's you know framed for a portrait it starts at her feet goes up and she just looks to camera and oh, then and the harpsichord.
0: That's it's so cheesy.
1: Bro. I love it. It's but it's so like that's cheesy. all you need to do. I don't know. I just think he's got he's got a very specific sensibility, and it's very simple
0: and classic and exquisite to me. It no, it totally is. Like there's the old saying that like what a director is really directing is the audience's attention. Mm-hmm. And like even though I've seen this like ten times, like I'm still like interested in it. Like. My eye doesn't get bored. I'm still drawn into the story. Like, it does a good job of still bringing me in without being flashy. Yeah. Like, how good is that helicopter shot? Like, when they're going over
1: the um, the hills, when they're stalking oh, the buck. Oh, like, yeah. That looks amazing. It's so good. Um, how good is it when, like, she sees the buck for the first time in the river? There's so many shots that I remember from this movie, which, like, for something that could easily just be a made-for-TV thing, like, he makes it a spectacle, yeah. you know? Like, he just always elevates things that could easily go into, like, pap,
0: you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm a little worried, because, like, full disclosure, I haven't seen Florence Foster Jenkins. I saw the play when it was called Souvenir, and they had a real opera singer, like, playing the lead, because I guess it take someone really talented to sing that bad (laughs) i've also i i've actually heard a recording of the actual florence foster chickens um (laughs) (laughs) have you seen a very british scandal yet no i haven't seen
1: that one okay yeah or philomenia i haven't seen philomenia but treat yourself to a very british scandal okay it's gay it's got ben wishaw and hugh grant oh and it's super british (laughs) and like Again, I should hope so. It's made for T V with, you know, BBC produced, so okay. it's, you know, a little higher quality. But like there's just a few moments that he chooses to like take it the extra mile that didn't
0: deserve it or need it. And I don't know. He he knows when to take those leaps, you know? Well, honestly, like I still get goosebumps at that scene when the Queen And Charles and the kids are like looking at like the flowers and the notes like outside Buckingham Palace. And she sees like the note that says like, you know, uh, your blood is on their hands and things. And then she goes to the crowd and she asks that little girl, like, do you want me to place the flowers for you? And when the little girl says no, I remember being in theaters just like my heart sinking. Yeah, yeah. And then she's like, they're for you. And it just rising back up again. Hello. Would you like me to place those for you?
2: No. For you, for me. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Like it's a goosebump moment. Like yeah. I love it so much. And even now, even when I know that it's coming, I am all emotionally when wrapped up in that up thinking moment. Thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. And
1: part of that is Helen Mirren's performance too, because when the kid says no. You can see how crestfallen the, the, like, she becomes. The
0: dignified sort of stab in the
1: heart. She's still like as stoic as fuck, but behind the eyes, yeah.
0: is a a crushedness. Yeah, and then she gets them, and you're right back up. Yeah, it and it's such a good like down then up. Like it's like two seconds of yeah. just like your heart sinking into your stomach and then soaring again. How low are these stakes? I don't know. <laughs>
1: Her feelings Her got feelings hurt. Feelings got hurt.
0: Oh, but they're okay. <laughs> Whoo! I was worried there for a minute. <laughs> also, so Helen Mirren won the Academy Award for Best Actress that year. Yeah. That was a stiff competition Ooh, I know, that year. I know, I know. Like, if if you're gonna win a year, and it was like, I remember. It wasn't even like a question who was gonna win and I look back at the nominees I'm like these are career defining yeah. performances. We got Penelope Cruz and Volver. I got- which I mean, that is probably her finest. Oh, it hour. is.
1: I've, that was the one that convinced me she's a good actress because yeah. I've seen her in a lot of uh, uh, like wrong English com- language yeah. speaking roles, and I'm like, who? She sucks. Yeah. But then I watched her in a Spanish speaking role. And I was like, oh, I get it. Yeah. We got Meryl Streep in the Devil, Devil Wears Prada. Prada. Why is no one ready?
0: Which I mean, not necessarily like Oscar bait, and like I don't think that's a very good movie either. But like you know, Meryl Streep, she does she does the the sharp faced bitch. Okay. We've got Kate
1: Winslet in and little, little children. children. I haven't seen the movie but like i know that she's a, a powerhouse
0: so. oh and she's really good in that movie it's just i feel like that movie's more of an ensemble thing oh, okay um okay, okay. little children is on my list of movies to do Oh uh, great, we got one more judy dench in notes on a scandal another dame uh battle of the dames i mean notes on a scandal uh both her and kate blanchett were nominated that year and they both lost which yeah. is just a shame, but... haven't seen that one either. I immediately
1: put it in my queue, though. you never seen so. Notes on a Scandal? It's in my queue. It's in my queue. Don't worry about it.
0: Oh, my God. we have to stop and I have to watch it right now? Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to have to watch it real quick and then get back to the podcast. It's just like four defining performances and then like Helen Mirren wins them. I'm like... Fuck, that was a rough year to put in a best performance. Yeah. Do you know what it is, though?
1: And uh, I'm going to reference once again, Be Kind Rewind, our favorite YouTube channel, talks about this with a different win. I can't remember which one. Oh, it was the Sissy Spacek one, I believe, because she won for Coal Miner's Daughter. So it's like it's so much easier to give a best acting award to somebody who's playing a real life person Mm -hmm. because then you have something to compare their performance to because then you can be like how close are they to this real person um and if they did a good job then like give them an award and so Helen Mirren kind of
0: has an advantage in that category I mean roughly I I mean you could say that uh Meryl Streep was playing on a one tour sure 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 but there's a lot more breadth to this movie because I like uh, yeah, I mean the biopics; those are the things that win award. Like, like just recently, Renee Zellweger for for yeah. uh, the Judy Garland. biopic. And I pic. don't
1: want to diminish the award, the her win because she obviously does a great job and deserves it. Yeah, um, I'm just saying that biopics tend
0: to win because of that. Oh, factor. sure, 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 sure.
1: And uh, this, I call this a biopic.
0: Like, yeah, it's a snapshot in the life. Yeah, I I think one of the other reasons that like that drew me to this movie when it initially came out is because this was probably the first movie I saw that was about history that like I had a memory of oh yeah like I remember when Princess <gasps> Diana died where were you when Princess Diana died I, I was at home and like the news came out and I remember running upstairs because I could have only been like 12 years old uh I ran upstairs to my mom and I she was like folding laundry and I was like Princess Diana died and like she ran downstairs to like look at the news like it was an event in the household oh, that like God. yeah it, it was a big deal what about you I
1: was uh I was sitting on the sidewalk in Colorado Springs as a teenager, uh, just hanging out on a hot summer day, and just some randos came by me and my group of friends and said, "Did you hear Princess Diana died?" (laughs) And we're like, "Okay." Uh, And then we like, I remember like looking across at like a bar or something, and I could see it was like playing on all the screens, Princess Diana. And we came home that night, and it was like all over the news. Yeah. It was a huge deal. I remember my mom being really upset that she died because she told me, she was like, I got up early to see the wedding, which I think a lot of Americans did because it, it aired here at like During, three like, in the morning. Meghan or something. Markle's
0: wedding. I, I knew people that like stayed up all night because it like, yeah, it was at like three or four in the morning or something Yeah. Pacific Northwest time. Like
1: my mom was upset because she said that like she she had watched the royal wedding. She got up to watch it. And so, yeah. God, the royal wedding
0: was like 1986 or something, wasn't it? Something
1: like that. Yeah. I don't remember. I was a child, but yeah, so, you know, it was a, it was a big deal. Everyone loved Diana.
0: Yeah. My mom's, uh, uh, late boyfriend was British. And I remember I asked him once, I was like, what? I was like, what do British people really feel about her? And he's like, well, you know, some people really like her. I thought she was trash. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, she wasn't a very good mother. Uh, she was more interested in being a celebrity than being a human being. Hmm. And I was like, oh, I see. I don't know if his word is the final word on it, of course, but uh, also this is probably like the bitchy part of me, but like when they're arranging Diana's funeral. And what form will this
2: funeral take?
0: At the moment,
2: they're suggesting, and of course, these are early days, basing it on Tay Bridge. Tay Bridge? What? What? is the name for my
0: funeral. Instead of five hundred soldiers, we're going to have five hundred representatives from from the princess's various charities, and instead of dignitaries and head of states, we'll have a smattering of celebrities of stage and screen. She's like celebrities.
2: Have you seen the latest funeral
0: guest list? No. I suggest you keep it that way. A chorus line of soap stars and homosexuals. And they show, like, real footage. It's, like, Steven Spielberg walks Tom Cruise. Tom Hanks. Like, they're all
1: there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is, like, right on the heels. Because, okay, so this was also right around when Gianni Versace got murdered.
0: Oh, it was, like, two weeks? Like, before or after or something, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: very close on the heels of it. And so she was at Gianni Versace's funeral. Oh, I remember, like... Being real confused a little bit because she was at Gianni Versace's funeral and seeing footage of her there, and then like very shortly afterwards seeing people at her funeral. And I think she sat next to Elton John at Gianni Versace's or something like that. Yeah, I think you right. And he was like at hers, and you're just like, what is happening? I think we know this better
0: having after reviewed House of Versace. Seriously. (laughs) In our first uh, uh, actress double feature. That's right.
1: Gershonathan. Uh huh. I thought it was interesting. So, this movie basically came out uh, about 10 years after Diana died. Very close. Roughly. Roughly. And I like how real the production design feels. Mm -hmm. Because, like, it feels late 90s. Like, I feel like when you do uh, a period piece that's only 10 years old you remember it and you do it right. Like, because Tony Blair's house looks like 1997. Yeah, like, it does. There's nothing about that that doesn't ring true. And it's like the further away from a time period you get, the less likely you are to get those details right. You know what I mean?
0: Okay, so this is coming out almost exactly 23 years. This episode is coming out almost 23 years exactly to when the queen gave that speech. Oh wow! Uh, Look at that timing. Yeah, I'm. Hold on, I'm. I'm getting the, the date on it right now. Okay,
1: so she died on a Sunday, and then the speech was on a Friday, and this and Sunday was the thirty first, so it would have been like the sixth or
0: so, September fifth, nineteen ninety seven. Right. So yeah. So we're like two days after the twenty third anniversary of her giving the speech. Yeah. So Crazy. I was going to say, like, unless we released this two days earlier, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it would have been hard to get closer than what we are right now. How about that? Yeah. Kisnet.
2: Since last Sunday's dreadful news, we have seen throughout Britain and around the world an overwhelming expression of sadness at Diana's death. We have all been trying in our different ways to cope. It is not easy to express a sense of loss. Since the initial shock is often succeeded by a mixture of other feelings—disbelief, incomprehension, anger, and concern for those who remain—how
1: about how how many flowers were there? By the way, lot. I think it's really telling that like they're like, "Ma'am, they're they're asking what to do with the flowers," and she's like, "Oh, just get rid of them." Oh yeah, <laughs> like there are a lot of flowers. Yeah, and you just want to throw them away. Yeah, they're
0: getting it, they're getting in the way of the changing of the guard. <sighs> I don't know. That stuff, I love all that stuff. Oh, it's just like total palace intrigue. Like, this is like the like top 1% of the top 1% problems.
1: So I don't know how much you know about British royalty or the monarchy. O- other than from this movie, very little. Same here. But from what I understand, British people pay taxes to support the monarchy. Yeah. And they that's what they live off of. So, yeah. when, when he's talking about, like, I'm going to take a private jet down Who to do Paris. Who do you think pays the president's salary? Well, that's different. How? Because we elect them. So? That'd be like us paying taxes to support Jeff
0: Bezos. <laughs> Some say we do. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm just saying. Well, but like, they're not running a private enterprise, either. This is a government formed for the monarchy. I don't know, man.
1: It's, I'm a little anti- I'm a little anti monarch. There's a reason why
0: there's not a lot of like real active monarchies left, and that like the ones that are just like sort of figureheads or an advisory capacity.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. The funny thing is, is like British people love the queen.
0: Yeah. And it really like ends with the queen. Like, I feel like one of the reasons like that she's 94 and not abdicating is that she knows that like when she goes, that might be like. The last, the last of one. an unbroken chain yeah cuz who, who it's uh prince, prince charles Dionys, prince charles yeah yeah
1: no 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 it's not prince charles it's his son who's going to be next i don't feel like that's accurate
0: you think prince charles is the next one why would he not be the next one i don't know i I'm, just remember people i'm almost 100% positive <laughs> that prince charles is next in line you know what i'll just i'll just defer to you
1: mr I love England. I hope we can go back to them and stop being a colony, Fisher. Uh, have we have we finished talking about the Queen? I think so. I really enjoy this movie, and I know it's an old person movie. And Total I don't care. fluff piece. I mean, not, not
0: It's not serious <laughs> the, the, movie making, but it is a serious performance. The stakes don't get any lower. They, they really don't. How many people don't approve of the Queen? Twenty five percent scandal. <laughs> The drama, (laughs) but uh,
1: I love it. I love this movie. It's great, and you know, Helen Mirren, big part of it. Gotta love her. All right. Well, before we dig into our next one, which is going to take us probably till next Saturday to get through everything, we probably better take a break. Sure. Okay. what's george's mom's name estelle Estelle walks in on him during the masturbation episode Mm. she's like i see you treating your body like an amusement park (laughs) do you ever think about that when you're masturbating
0: no i'm like do you time to ride the ride (laughs) time to ride the red-headed cyclone no lines <laughs> i got the vip nobody pass. wants on <laughs> magic mountain can't handle this there's a big line to get in but it, you just have it closed off and it's you riding a roller coaster by yourself <laughs> <Woo-hoo>! <laughs> oh my god i love this it's place so good this is the best thing ever
1: <laughs> people outside like crossed Arrows. Arrows. Arrows.
0: wow this is what we're leading into the second half of our episode with Oh, no. Your expert
1: masturbatory skills. I'm like mock. I I like put out the the essential essential oils. oils. I get my uh, dual
0: (laughs) flared base dildo.
1: (laughs) Designed specifically for my cavity. (laughs) There's a throwback for
0: you. All the way to rock and (sighs) roll. Only available on (laughs) xratedmovies.com. My second to last favorite episode? Third. I think third at this point. Really? Really? Yeah, I think uh, my least favorite is Greasy Strangler. Fair. Then I probably Siren in the Dark. <gasps> yeah, that's a bad movie. Then I think we get to rock and roll. Okay, 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 okay. That being said, we haven't done a shit musical in far too long. We did the Apple this season. <laughs> the Apple! I can't get enough. I need more. You've been watching more, it. More, you bought- more, more.
1: <laughs> While we're talking about things you can only get on our website... Why don't we also just uh, take a minute to ask people to give us money?
0: The sordid topic of coin? Yeah.
1: If you are enjoying this podcast, just know that you can also get a ton of fun bonus content if you pay a little money on our Patreon. It's true. We're doing two episodes a month. I mean, we're probably going to make that a little more special coming up. If you believe in the
0: Yuletide, yeah, you might get a little extra Christmas in December.
1: (laughs) I think I've mentioned this. I'm thinking about making like sort of a lower tier like a one dollar tier that gives you access to uh like every other one or something i don't know i'm just um sounds complicated it's okay patreon makes it easy (laughs) patreon.com by the way i want to say we've been getting a lot of a lot more reviews and a lot more ratings and i really appreciate that so everybody who does that it's just it's the biggest endorphin rush to see a new review and uh, also a lot more people have been reaching out. I don't know if we mentioned that necessarily, but like it's just so nice to know that people are listening and we appreciate it. And it's really like the only hearing. way that we know that you're not Russian bots. Yeah. Which I don't want to malign our Russian bot audience, which we love. Thank you, Russian bots. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the backbone of this of this <laughs> podcast. but uh, Probably all podcasts. <laughs> but our, our flesh and bone listeners, you are the ones we really care about. Don't tell the bots. Um, so, speaking about flesh and bone. Oh, God.
0: We've got a movie with both. <laughs> a lot of both. So, the second movie in our Mirren Mirren on the wall marathon. <laughs> is The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. This is an unstreamable movie. Shout out at you, Chase Burns and, and Jasmine. K- Kaming? Kaming? Yeah, hope we're saying that right. Yeah, unstreamable currently. And when you came to, because I own this movie, and when you came to to pick it up uh, over the weekend, I was, like, just trying to contain my <laughs> excitement for this movie. But I did say, like, I think this podcast was built for movies like this. Um, oh,
1: where do we start? I didn't like this movie, Matt. I loved Loved it! it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely.
0: Duh, 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 duh. As the opening credits were going, I had completely forgotten that the costumes are by one Jean-Paul Gaultier. Um,
1: Okay, so yeah, this movie's full callbacks, callback to Fifth Element.
2: cha cha hamas
0: Where he also did the costumes. The man who gave us Madonna's cone bra boobs... Does the costumes in this Ah, movie. Hey, how about that soundtrack? Um, Mr. Michael Nyman himself.
1: Call back to the piano.
0: (laughs) It had been a long time since I'd seen this movie. Like, before I had Letterboxd, so pre-2012. So we're talking eight plus years. Oh, damn. Okay. And I had just forgotten so many parts about this movie. Mm. (laughs) And... While watching, I was just like, "Oh my god!" The only thing that's missing is wigs, <laughs> but we do have some pretty outlandish hairdos and hats. So I was like, "Okay, we're missing wigs. We're making it up for it with like pretty stupid feathery hats." I mean,
1: I almost think the costumes could just like take over for wig wig department because boy,
0: we the- got some. We got some wild costumes going on here. There is. Like, they get wilder as it goes on. Like, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but there is a climax costume here that is bananas. Let's just say, feathers for days.
1: <laughs> so, I've I've never seen a Peter Greenaway movie. This is my first. You've seen The Pillow Book?
0: Oh, right. We right, were right. But this one- We watched Pillow Book while we were dating. That's right. That's and we right, had sex right. afterwards. And here I thought I was all hot, but then I've come to now realize that and McGregor just puts fuel in your tank-
1: I was uh, picturing him while we had sex. Yeah, exactly. What a movie. I mean, Jesus Christ. Capital M movie here. How can we
0: traverse the amount of things to talk about in this movie? Well, I think I alluded to it last week. I was like, there's something that we might cling on to. And I was trying to make you think of a toilet. Okay. Which there is a toilet in this movie. Like oh, They're yeah? in, the, in the loo a couple Ooh, times. Yeah. But uh, I kind of thought that you would gravitate towards the poop. <laughs> well, it starts off with poop Which, eating.
2: Yeah. Come on now. now. Open your mouth. Open your mouth. I learn to
0: appreciate your food. In my mind, I remembered it being like halfway into the movie. But no. Right there. It's right at the beginning. Like the first character actions we get is the thief smearing dog poop all over some unnamed- Some person he doesn't like. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I really thought you'd want to pair this with Saulo after that point. I was like, "If we should have a poop-eating
0: spectacular. <laughs> and if you have any friends or family that eat poop and would like to stop, give them my number. This movie has penises. It's got, it, mm. you know, ching uh, Yeah. Got, but, <laughs> sure, I'll give it to you. But. I mean, they're still there. They're cock we, shots. We, we got
1: boobs- We've we got, got full frontal vajayjay. We got booties of both genders. Yeah, and it's it's Mir mirror mirrors. Helen Mirren's she yeah like
0: we see everything. Full naked body. She's in like a, a fishnets, like a, a sexy lingerie vajayjay exposed, boobs out,
1: butt yeah. out, and you know good on her. Not a perfect bod, but a beautiful bod. Yeah, like she
0: looks absolutely. great. She looks good. And yeah, I mean the same goes for the 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 lover. <laughs> like that's right. Not a looker. Kind of got a bald spot. Not especially <sighs> built. Not a butterface or an underbody, TBH. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he's cultured, Ryan. He reads while he eats. Whatever. Like I, I buy I buy their chemistry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like,
1: whew. Uh, I yeah. Th- this is. I mean. What a good movie for Mirren Fest. Like, this is a Mirren movie. I love Michael Gambon in it, who we haven't talked about yet, who was the... Dumbledore. Uh, Dumbledore and uh, Toys, uh, Zeebo's oh dad. Right, <laughs> So, call back again. You men stand over there or a minor attention until further notice. They're all great, but, like, it's Mirren's movie. It's if, if you're it asking doesn't me. start as
0: Mirren's movie, no, but it becomes it take, yeah, Mirren's movie. it takes movie. a minute,
1: but yeah, it's the wife's movie. To yeah, me, to
0: me, and it's just there's a, a a formalism to this. It's almost like proto Wes Anderson a little bit with its lateral tracking shots. God damn it, that's a line, That was my note. <laughs> and the the
1: place cards to to like yeah. mark the the act the day yeah, yeah. uh huh. Uh, I saw a lot, so I also saw some Gregoraki with like the lighting and mm. the stage sets, and then I saw some like DNA of like Kubrick, which the like the way oh, the camera totally, moves. Totally, so totally. I feel like God. I feel like this movie's and like Ari Aster, who you know, not friend of the pond for us, <laughs> wow. but but people love Ari Aster. Mm-hmm. Like says that this movie was like is the biggest influence on anything he's ever done. Did he really? Yeah. And oh, he, he don't. He almost feels bad that he watched it because it's like ruined him as a filmmaker oh like he just feels like he'll never be able to make anything this good so it's like oh wow that's cool i just feel like yeah watching this movie i'm like wow there's so many touchstones here i can see movies that were made before this that influenced it and i see movies that were made after it that were influenced by it yeah i do
0: kind of feel like there is a barry linden feel to this but way more interesting than barry linden oh like, yeah this is taking, like, what Kubrick did in, like,
1: Clockwork Orange or... I saw Clockwork Orange. I saw some shining, like, just camera movements, the way it's, like, slowly panning across yeah. these... Or, yeah, moving across these long But, trackings. like, Barry Lyndon
0: with its, like, Baroque period, and there's a lot of, like, Baroque, like, artistic references in here. Sure. Like, the Flemish painting. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like, there's a Call lot of back things. to Peter von Kant. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nein, hier nicht von Kant. It's just this is this is one of those movies that's just like total art. It's like the the set design is art. The costuming is art. The acting is like this high Jacobian theater brand of yeah. acting, especially like Michael Gambon. Like I noticed, especially like in the first parts of this movie, it's him just constantly Monology. talking and my it notes having sh- nothing to do with anything one of my notes
1: is shut up Michael Gambon
0: but like there's just like knowing looks between Helen Mirren and like the lover the man who's like yeah. reading at the table well, in the corner while well, Michael Gambon is just spouting off things like I think
1: these Ethiopians
2: like starving you know keep some slim and graceful those bigots and those dreamy
0: eyes. Yeah, there's so much of that where it's just Michael Gambon just talking bullshit and gibberish while the plot happens, like around him. Yeah, I love it. It was, yeah, it's, uh, it's so good. And then just, I mean, you got to be a fan of colors because this movie gives you all you can eat. Uh, I mean, look, the only thing this movie's missing is creative wipes.
1: I'm just going to be <laughs> honest. Like, we've got creative blocking, we've got the best colorful lighting. Like I know it looks stagey and that was something I kind of like went back and forth on with this movie was like, it calls attention to itself. The fact that it's on a soundstage, like there's no illusion of reality Mm -hmm. with this movie, like at all. And I'm never
0: mad about that, watching. Them. No, it's fine because like you're here for the artifice. Nothing about this movie makes you think that it's like grounded in our reality. Nothing like it, it, from frame one. Yeah, like all the dogs like eating the meat or whatever it is that they're gnawing on, and Michael Gambon's totally over the top. But yes, and a lot of the the acting in especially like the first actor. So is like non dialogue based because it's like, even when Helen Mirren, Georgie, the wife goes off to the, the loo. loo. <laughs> <laughs> We're on the same page. <laughs> well, she walks in and it's all white and yeah. then her dress is white. And then she walks down to the hallway and, and her she, dress is red. Uh,
1: what a simple, fun thing.
0: Uh, but like, she runs into what will become her lover out there. Mm-hmm. And, it's like she pulls out a cigarette, offers him one. He declines, but they're, like, hanging around. Like, you sense there's already an attraction here, even though no words have been spoken in between the two of them. Yeah. Like, everything is just facial expressions, body language, and yet suggestive posing and things like that. Or just the fact that one of them's hanging outside, like, the, the ladies' room waiting for her to come out. Like, all this is just implied. There's no dialogue between these two. Yeah. And it's just, uh, like I'm just here for it. Like, yeah, I watched it Friday night and I was like, I this is what our podcast is meant for. Like, this is one of the most X-rated movies we've ever done. I mean. And this movie's literally NC17. I mean.
1: Like I said, all the callbacks yeah. we've already talked about.
0: Uh, 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 another callback, Young Hot Tim Roth. I mean <laughs> from uh from Rosencrantz uh, and Gilden Dead uh, Exactly. Glean, yeah. what afflicts him. We yeah. were both just like hit it. Even though he looks like a gangly 20-year-old yeah, in this movie. also he barfs, so.
2: <laughs> yeah. What's the matter, Mitchell? Don't you like mussels? You gotta learn to like them if you're gonna eat with me. Don't you dare throw up in here, Mitchell, or I'll
0: get spangled the stuff and back down your throat.
1: How shitty is that? Like, oh, you're allergic to shellfish? Man up, because if you're part of my posse, you can't, you're gonna have to eat some mussels. I know, like, Jesus Christ. God, they... Oh, I was like, if Michael Gambon
0: doesn't die by the end of this movie, I'm going to be so pissed. And Albert like, has some they... strange qualifiers to be part of his gang. Like, <laughs> it's just really you got to like, well, hey, he doesn't pronounce any of the food right. Whenever he has to talk in French, it's always the most butchered French. Oh, I know. But yeah, uh, here it is. Young Tim Roth, like can't handle seafood well. And Albert is like making him continue to eat the, the shellfish. <sighs> i really felt for him in that moment yeah he looks pasty and gross i mean
1: they go to length to make michael gambon seem like the worst scoundrel ever and it's like
0: you know who he reminds me of
1: (laughs) who's that oh donald trump yeah i you didn't even have to say it
0: so many of just his phrases the way that he keeps talking his like stream of consciousness braggarting like This is Donald Trump. nothing's his fault, how he's always a jerk. The weird thing is, like, Michael Gambon, like, there's a note in, like, the DVD, like, liner notes, I guess. Michael Gambon's like, I always get pegged playing nice guys. This was my first time playing a mean guy. And I really felt that I needed to sink my teeth into it. He goes, the person I'm playing, I don't know if this person exists. I don't, I've never met anyone like this in real life. But it's just, it's on the page, and this is, like, what the page brought out of me. He exists, and he's our president. <laughs>
1: I mean, poor Dumbledore. <laughs> like, he's sort of, like, not completely unlovable in toys like he is here, but, like, he makes this character, whose name I don't remember, just, like, the most despicable person. In, in this movie? Yeah. In uh, this... Albert's uh Spika. Yeah. It's the grossest character. And, like, spoiler alert, when he dies, which takes forever, (laughs) you're just finally, like, finally. I wish he was, I wish it was worse for him, TBH. Like, he gets off easy. We'll get to his death in a little bit because, like, yeah, yeah. let's not jump to it. But, like,
0: boy, there there was so much of this movie where I was like, shut up. You are awful. He's got. Easily ten times the lines of anyone else in this movie. Oh, it's just a monologue,
1: monologue. I mean, how do you even write the script? Like, it's him talking, but in the meantime, there's meaningful glances. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Flashback to Todd Haynes. Just
2: wait till we get our hands on you.
1: Throughout, while he's just bloviating over everybody. Like, that takes vision. It takes vision to imagine what that's going to look like and how your eye is going to be drawn to these things while this shitty picture is going on over everything.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's also like, yeah, uh, uh, there's vision in the dialogue, but it's like there comes a point like when he finds out about the affair, he does a lot of acting too. And I'm thinking for like an independent feature when he like starts like having a shit fit in the kitchen and he's like, Throwing eggs and throwing parmesan milk. and basil, yeah, and throwing milk and like throwing produce around. I'm like, it's a long shot. Like it's a oneer. Like it's all one take. I'm like, this is the sort of like if you're an independent film, you only want to do this take once. Yeah. Like you don't want to have to clean up all the broken glass and milk and and broken eggs and ripped up fruit and vegetables and things like that, and then start from one. Like you kind of want to just get it on the first take. I mean, and it's the type of food. An actor like craves, I
1: imagine, because it's just like here's what you get to destroy. Oh, and yeah. you can't just swing your arms around and get it all done in a minute. You gotta, you gotta plan it. And like yeah. when, because watching that scene, I was thinking like he had to think, I'm gonna take a few eggs now. I'm gonna take a few eggs now. I'm gonna knock that over, and then I'm gonna take these, and I'm gonna like they had to choreograph that. There's mm-hmm. no way they were just like, uh, and you're cut loose and go crazy. Yeah, yeah. because otherwise they'd have to like you said clean it up and start over and be like okay that one was okay but like no I feel like yeah they were like let's go through this several times miming it and then we're gonna do it for real
0: I mean on on like a a cerebral level this movie's fun because it does like sort of revolve around food like they talk about the close connection between food and lust that like our dirty bits and our naughty bits are right next to one another so like you know, God must have intended these things to be connected. Sure. You know, right off the bat, we get poop and it's being fed to someone. So it's right. like food waste being fed into someone's mouth. I mean, Michael Gambon's basically introduced by peeing on this guy. But I mean, of course, they're constantly eating. The movie takes place almost entirely in a restaurant. You know, one of the characters is killed by having paper shoved down his throat. Everything seems to revolve around food here a little bit. That you know, takes place in a restaurant. uh, The the the, um, earthly delights, Er, yeah, sex. Well, even the way that like Helen Mirren and uh, I think it's Michael is the lover's name. Like they have to initially have sex in like wherever they keep like the pheasants or or whatever it is. Well, the
1: first time they have it in in a fucking stall in a toilet. Oh yeah, that's right. So, yeah, there's that. And then a couple like, scenes in the loo here. Yeah. And then they uh yeah, they then they have that that sex scene in the uh place where they're hanging the pheasants. So it's like there is this like
0: visceral death sex connection. Yeah, food, sex and death are all sort of meshed together. They're all like pleasures of of the the carnal like now kind of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I get all that. I love it. But yeah, it's like uh when Michael and, and Georgina have to escape. Like they have to go into that that truck with all the rancid food. Which
1: that's 100% a reference to the Nine Inch Nails Closer video. Or rather the Nine Inch Nails Closer video was making reference to this. That's what I meant. Okay. <laughs> I don't think this movie was future referencing something that didn't exist. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like the hanging pig's head is just mm, like 100%. Mm-hmm. Like the look of that van when they open it is like, oh, well, this looks like the closer, clo- yeah. closer, I don't know, I can't say it. Closer video. I mean,
0: with that sort of sallow yellow yeah. lens and lighting and a to pig it. head right in center frame. Like, you're just like, oh shit. So, you think uh, uh, Trent Reznor is
1: a big Peter Greenway fan? I don't know. Greenway? I don't know, but he's definitely a fan of this movie, I would say. Let's call him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we were just wondering, uh, the, uh, Closer video, did you draw inspiration from the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover? Uh, yeah, definitely. That's where it's from. Okay, great. That's all we needed to know. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Hey, are you still coming over to my house for that party? Look, I'm on pod. I'll, t- let's, let's talk later. Just text me, okay? I'm sorry, Ryan. I just, I, I just miss you. We've been hanging, we, we haven't hung out in a long time, and you're really cool, and like- Trent, I know. <laughs> you're flattering me. I love you too, but like, we'll, we'll hang out later, okay? All right. Love you, Ryan.
0: Love you too, Trent. Okay, bye. Wow, you guys are on I love you terms. Yeah, we're good. But friends. you're still ghosting them. Look, I have a lot going on right now. Okay, kind of do busy, you?
1: So yeah. Um. Okay. So okay. One thing I really like about this movie, while it's um, ensconced in artifice, mm-hmm. the actual like plot and like meatiness of it, like you don't have to take this script. And this idea and make it this artie. I feel like you could take this exact same script and have, say, I don't know, a Stephen Frears direct it. <laughs> and it would just look real,
0: but still be the like, like be, you know what I'm saying? So like, last week, I think I think you took umbrage at this, but I was talking about how the two films that we were choosing for, for Mirren Mirror on the Wall are Mirathon. I was like, one is very sort of classically directed, very traditional. And the other was th- quite the opposite. And you thought that I was taking some sort of cheap shot at Stephen Frears. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But n- now it seems that you've come full circle and you're agreeing with, with with the me of last week. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, like, you don't
1: have to make this movie as arty as it is to make it successful. I think, like, it's a successful script just plot wise i think it's fun i could see this being even made into like some shitty lifetime movie really why not you'll have to expand on that if you will i mean the cannibalism part's a little difficult but um i just i feel like it doesn't have to be all the
0: full frontal nudity you think that could make it into lifetime no but you could still like like the ideas there there's see, a... yeah, I, th- I think the nudity is essential to the movie though okay cuz I think that shock value, like, the the idea that we're getting full titties and cock, like, unadulterated... Okay, maybe I should put it a different way. You could do a watered-down version of this mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
1: would still get the ideas across, but the fact that this is so arty and so elevated is what makes it special. Yeah. Like, the
0: script itself... Are these plot points that interesting? I mean, laid I, out just like one by one. No, I mean, there's there's more to a script than just the plot points, though. Like, sh- 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 I will sh- sh- sh-. say because one of my complaints with say a Ryan Murphy is that all the characters talk the same, mm-hmm. and I cannot say that about this movie. Albert uh, talks very differently from all the rest of the characters. I mean, you could say that, like, Michael and Georgina do talk the same, but it's also that they don't talk a lot. A lot of what they're doing is just acting, performing, and emoting at the screen. I'm not sure,
1: but I think Michael's first line is,
2: I'm a gynecologist.
1: By the way, that whole sequence when they sit down and she starts talking about the gynecology stuff and he's like, this is inappropriate. And he goes, actually, I'm a gynecologist. And she's like,
2: being infertile makes me a safe bet for good screw.
1: I was crying laughing. (laughs) Oh, really? That was
0: the funniest thing for me. And that's also like one of those adult things. Like you don't hear that especially like in a somewhat comedic manner sure like, the idea that it, that that like she's using her infertility as like a source of comedy is not normal i'm gonna say like it's not that it's bad but like i don't i don't want to make a judgment call uh, uh, on this i just you don't see people making light of it the way that you do yeah. in this movie. Well, in,
1: in that moment, it feels like a, a a way for her to stick it to the thief. Yeah. She's just like, fuck you, I'm in love
0: with this guy. The movie's just fun because it is a little bit on the long side, but the only time I ever feel that it actually drags or is unnecessary is when Helen Mirren's trying to convince the cook to cook the lover. Oh, really? Yeah, that that's the only time that I ever feel that it drags. Why is that? It's just a lot of them talking and it's the camera like it it it's it's way out there and then it cuts in real quick and then it back out and then it cuts in and I just kind of feel like that goes on for like 10 minutes and like this is way too long for this scene. Where so many other scenes feel dynamic and even if it's repeating the same themes or just sort of wallowing in like the emotion of the moment It all feels justified. Like, it could just be that we're enjoying watching Georgie and Michael get this moment of refuge away from the thief and that lifestyle, like, you know, in... The toilet stall, or or someplace else, uh, uh, the the pheasant locker, the meat locker, yeah, and it has the 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 wonderful Ni- Michael Nyman score, which is it's very different from say the piano. This that, is yeah. this is him with the Michael Nyman players, which is like sort of a very eighties minimalist. Well, I was gonna like say Philip Glass like, <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it, it's Philip Glass like, but he uses sort of. Uh, uh, Almost folk musicians for the music for a lot of it. It seems like there's a lot of hurdy gurdy going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the score. Oh, I'm tbh, I'm but. totally here for the score. Loved it. Loved it. I just want to say, like that
1: scene. I liked that scene that you're that you're maligning so viciously. Wait, what am I maligning? The the cook uh, talking to the oh, wife. Okay, yeah. I'm, just, I'm joking. I know you're, you're you're lightly saying it was boring.
0: I just feel like it lasted too long for what I was trying to get. Across.
1: I was... Actually, I liked that scene a lot because it's finally the time where the cook gets to talk. He's dead.
2: They stuffed his mouth with paper ripped from his favorite book. Could you cook him?
1: Cook who, Georgina? Michael. We've got a lot of shading on everybody else at that point. And so finally, it's the time for the cook to get some shading. All we know about him at that point is that he allows the thief to dine in his restaurant because he pays for that to happen. Well, and he owns
0: the restaurant or
1: Right. Yeah. So, you know, that he's trapped in that way. We also know that he's allowing the wife to have this dalliance mm-hmm. and like he's covering for her. Mm-hmm.
0: That's all we know. Yeah. He, so like, suddenly he, he makes available like places in his kitchen. Or in his restaurant, yeah. As a whole, for Michael and Georgie to have these bangs. tricks. Yeah. yeah. And so now, his
1: character is really put to test in the in this moment. He's like, she's like, cook my lover for me, yeah.
0: So because we need, to co- c- yeah. Context. <laughs> at some point, Albert the thief finds out about the affair, and that's he's, when he has his uh,
1: aforementioned
0: uh, uh, conniption throwing, yeah. <laughs> They track down Michael, and they do it in a brutal manner. Like, the soprano boy, you know, they they put him up in the hospital. Georgie goes to visit him. And while she's out visiting him, they find Michael, the lowly bookkeeper, which doesn't mean, like, keeping of financial books, but actually, like, keeping of physical books, like a librarian of some sort it's weird like as arty as this movie is it's also very violent that moment is very violent like yeah. they they have like a wooden spoon and they're shoving down pages from the French revolution about the French revolution down his throat like just raw paper there's blood everywhere and it's a pointy spoon yeah like and it's like blood coming out of his throat pretty nasty I
2: don't want this to look like a sex murder it's what it is a revenge killing an affair of the heart of crime rationale I want no evil gossip spread around about me. They are not going to say they are gonna say this was a dignified revenge killing. They're gonna admire the style. He was stuffed, and Albert liked good food.
0: Basically they're they're making him either choke or suffocate or or I don't know, paper's hard to swallow, like maybe it's just clogged in his esophagus or something too. Yeah. Which
1: is interesting in a movie that's, like, about food. So they're, like, shoving something down his throat. Right. So like, yeah. It's all it, it
0: plays into the themes of of eating and food and everything like that. Yeah. But, yeah, he's just helpless there while, like, paper's being shoved down into his system. And, like, it kills him. And Georgie in, you know... Well, first she, like, cuddles up next to the dead body and, like, spends the night with yeah. him. And she has that monologue. And that monologue's, like, the first time that, like... I think we see, like, Helen Mirren, like, the actress, really.
2: Oh, my God. That's that. Short and very sweet.
0: So many other scenes, like, she's she's done up, she's in a costume, she's got the, the Gautier costumes on, or that stupid black feathery hat. I hate it. Oh, it! Hate was it. hideous. It is hideous.
1: But yeah, it's just very little lines up until that point. It's all physical, yeah. glances, acting.
0: But then she kind of just has one monologue where she's talking about what it's like being married to Albert. And like, suddenly, like, this is like one of those things like, okay, this could be a really boring monologue where we get all the backstory. But like, I'm emotionally here with her because. She talks about how she tries to get away from Albert and Albert's men found her when she was in Brussels or something like that. I don't remember where she got off to and convinced her to come back. And she met Albert and Albert was crying and bought her all these gifts and said that he was changed and that, you know, things would be different going forward and so she agreed to come back, but then, like, after she agreed to come back, like, they all just, like, beat the hell out of her mm. as punishment for leaving in the first place. Well, and
1: she frames it by saying, like, I haven't really told the story to anybody probably because I've been too ashamed. So she frames it in, like, a, a sense of, like, this is a secret thing that I don't share because I'm I'm ashamed about it. Mm-hmm. And so that almost immediately, at least for me, like, draws me in. Like, mm-hmm. if you, if it's a character suddenly making some sort of admission that they wouldn't normally make. Like, I'm already Mm -hmm. ready to listen. And the fact that it is so sad and understandable, even, like, just, it really humanizes her, and she acts it so well, and it's just her face in frame, pretty much. Oh, yeah,
0: just a close-up, like, wide angle, her lying down, so, like, her face is the full frame. So, you're just getting... You're getting an actor delivering lines. Yeah.
1: Which can go so wrong.
0: And, like, really, if this was given to, you know, Selma Blair or something, (laughs) like, it wouldn't land the same way. No. So, it's really, it's Mirren selling
1: it. And if she wasn't there doing it, I don't know if this movie would succeed the way it does. And
0: part of me feels that it's because she looks so earthly. Like, her hair is not done up. She's not wearing a Gautier costume. Like, her hair's down. It looks like human natural hair. She looks vulnerable while she's doing this. She doesn't look done up the way that she has she's been. She's
1: also not a movie star. She just looks like a real person yeah. to me. Like she's beautiful, yeah. but she just looks like a person mm-hmm. like of her age, which is I think at this time probably late 20s early 30s. I was like,
0: going
1: I thought early 40s maybe. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. She just There's nothing like that distracting you from it. It's not like, oh, she's pretty. Like, it's just like this looks like a real person. Well, because
0: I mean, we see her naked a couple times, and it is really refreshing because she doesn't look super done up. Like one of the things I always go back to is Sandra Bullock is currently older than B. Arthur when they started Golden Girls. And it's like this is how much has womanhood changed in 30 years? And I feel like Helen Mirren is just like I'm not gonna do work I'm not gonna get a boob job I'm not gonna do a tummy tuck like this is how I am and I feel beautiful and if you don't like it well then don't have sex with me
1: yeah check out her uh, acceptance speech at the Academy Awards and tell me that like that's not a
0: hot rack (laughs) Uh, one of my favorite speeches from her was that she was talking about how few interesting roles there are for women Mm. and she's like this is why I'm playing Prospero in The Tempest it's like when she does it it's Prospera but Prospero is played by a man traditionally, and she was in a Julie Taymor. I've always wanted to see that movie. Have you seen that? It's not good. It's not good. Yeah. But it's not because of Helen Mirren. It's because of my intense hatred of Julie Taymor's directing style. <gasps> wow. Okay. I think she should just stick to plays. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, so she looks very much like a natural beauty. Like I don't yeah. know. Like I don't want to shame any actress that has. Touch-ups, like, I'm a big fan of Nicole Kidman. She had to, like, stop Botox when she was pregnant. Otherwise, it was, like, gonna, like, hurt the fetus. I'm uncomfortable talking about ladies doing stuff to themselves. Because well, no, no. no. It, it, if you feel beautiful doing it, go for it. Well, especially if you work in that industry, it's a different game.
1: There is definitely a huge part of me that wants to call it out. So, I'm like, I'm very conflicted.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know when... Helen Mirren or, say, like, uh, Frances McDormand, like, purposely don't do it because they want to be cast in roles that are appropriate for their age, I kind of do feel like that should be, like, celebrated in some way. Yeah. Or that we should just make more roles because, like, women after the age of 27 still have lives.
1: I mean, call back number 567 for this movie, Death Becomes Her. Me- It's a movie about aging actresses. So, like, yeah. Are women only interesting when they're fuckable and when they're old? No.
0: There's, like, a huge swath. They can be district attorneys. (laughs) (laughs) Or
1: moms with kids going off to college. (laughs) Right, exactly. So let's write more of those movies.
0: (laughs) It's nice to see, like you know, a movie with good bones, yeah. and then for someone to just run wild with it. It's almost too much. Like when it
1: started, I was like, "I can't, I can't, I can't soak in." It, it, it was
0: just like I can't. the the score. The, you knew that the costumes, were, the, the, uh, the, the drum, tracking
1: uh, shot of the kitchen, and then there's like, what's, there's a pile of vegetables there. What's that mean? Oh, why are they carrying letters? I don't. What's happening? Ah, I, I can't take notes, and I was like, I'm uh, not and you take hear the notes. the
0: falsetto singing, and then you see the boy singing. I mean, yeah.
1: Oh yeah. So let's talk about the boy for a second. Like, I like that device because. When he's in the hospital after getting beat up, which I thought also was weird that he that Michael Gambon was, like, bringing him into the car when he's raping uh, Helen Mirren's character.
0: I was oh, like, what's yeah. that about? Is he also a pedophile? Because if that's the case, that's very boring. Well, I think it's just a, a power imbalance thing. Like, if mm-hmm. you're, you know, raping your wife in front of a third party, especially, like, an innocent like that, like... It's just like a, a way to like claim dominance over yeah. the territory. Well, there's
1: hints that he's also like a pedophile, homosexual, because there's like there's that part where he's like wanting to rip off the the little boy's clothes when he's torturing him, and then also there's a the part where Helen Mirren says something like,
2: "I don't think he was very interested in sex. I mean, not with me, not not with women."
0: She doesn't go into too much detail, but it's like when they do have sex, they don't actually have sex. He pulls out a, a trunk full of devices that has like a tube and a funnel, choo choo train, and and a bottle of wine, yeah. and like you're never quite sure what exactly it is that they're doing. But she says that uh, it's less painful if she does it as opposed to him doing yeah. it. There's there's like hints that he's a homosexual. I mean, and
1: pedophile.
0: I, I think I think homosexual is almost too reductive for what he is. He's just some sort of strange masochist that just sadist. Y- sadist, sadist. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That doesn't get off from the act of sex, but gets off from like the pain that he induces. You know, I mean, we talk about this a lot uh, on the podcast. How it's like sometimes someone's sexuality doesn't even seem gender based. Like we talk about this in Crash. Where yeah. it's like they have a preferred gender, but it's not required for them to to enjoy the experience. And I kind of feel the same way with with Michael Gamon. It's like he prefers inflicting harm upon ladies, but, but if, he'll do it on little he'll, boys. He'll do it on little boys, and like in this instance, like the little soprano boy. It's like they cut off the buttons, they make uh, of his jumpsuit. Make him eat them. Call back to everything being food in this. Yeah. Okay,
2: Batnica, tell me where they are. Okay, Batnica, where are they? <laughs> well, we've run out of buttons, but there is one more
0: button. Do you know who that is? it's your belly up and to you swallow know, and, that, right? and that's when the boy faints and it's like we don't know if he's fainting or if he died or or what at that point but they yeah. they take him to the hospital
1: that was a very disturbing moment for
0: me by that the way that was a rough scene i was i was up, that was upsetting i mean when that boy like screams out in pain you feel it yeah that was that was bad yeah i mean for as wild and as as untethered from reality as this movie is you still feel the earthly emotions that's what's so weird about it like that's what i mean
1: about like how the script itself and the emotions in it don't necessarily need this artistic treatment but somehow the artistic treatment also doesn't detract from the bones of the script, mm-hmm. like they really work in harmony in a way that, like, I could see a lesser movie failing on either front. You know? Do you know what I mean?
0: Like, yeah, because I've seen a number. Uh, uh, Peter Greenaway has a bunch of movies. Like, if you look up his filmography, it's going to be like ninety films, and, and they, a lot of they're, them are they're are the short
1: most films. baroque, sh- crazy titles. The
0: Toulouse Lautrec suitcases. <laughs> Like, a lot of them are short films, so it's like, you know, you can't really hold those to the same regard as, like, a feature length necessarily. But, but seriously, the titles are bananas. <laughs> but, uh and I've seen a handful of them, and most of them just aren't good. Like, just playing kind of, like, strange and boring and, and more interesting than actually good. And the idea that, like, sort of fairly early on in his career that he made something this accomplished and this formal is... Sort of strange. Like, yeah. you look at the rest of his, his, his filmography, and it's not as technically accomplished this as this, and it's not as emotional as this.
1: You talked about it earlier by saying, like, Michael Gambon is Trump. It's oddly a prescient movie in the way that, like... I, I mean, I saw a lot of, like, class translations to today. hmm So, like... Just by, I mean, this is 89, is
0: that right? 86, I think. Keep going, keep going. Well, just
1: like a 30-plus-year-old movie, like, hitting the same points of what's going on today, of class, where it's like... Oh, no, you're right, 89. The the kitchen staff is less than this thief, you know, Mm -hmm. who's rich. Like, the fact that the dynamics between classes... Hasn't changed that much Mm -hmm. in 30 years. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that speaks a lot. Yeah. He's already got, like, society's number in 89. Yeah. And I know that there's movies before this that had that, too. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why are you still walking down this path? This is embarrassing.
0: Like, Jesus Christ, everybody. Just watch The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. God, you know... I've been talking about this movie for years, and you've never once got the title right, and I feel like you've gotten the title right several times during this episode. You know what helps? Watching the movie. Yeah, because okay. then I can just picture him. Yeah. So, yeah, it helps a lot. But to go back to the costumes, like, <gasps> there's a number of bananas costumes in this. Like, about Helen Mirren, who's really, like, the only predominant female. Like, there's, like, one near the end that, that has some a uh, uh, leverage in the scene. But, like, really, Helen Mirren gets the brunt of the crazy banana pants costumes and hairstyles. Like, one, she has that, that horrible feather hat, like the black feather hat. <laughs> Which we all hate.
1: She's got, like, a weird up ponytail. What is that? It just, like, goes
0: poop <laughs> yeah. straight up. I mean, Madonna had that for for a period of time, sure, too. sure, sure, sure. But I just remember that feather hat because, like, uh, she's in the, the Lou and Michael Gambon. And there's a whole, like, that whole lovemaking scene when they think Michael Gambon left oh. and he's not. Like, uh, every time my heart just falls into my stomach. But, like, Michael Gambon, like, or, or Albert, tries to, like, basically rape Georgie in the bathroom there. And, like, her little hat, like, falls off while he's dry-humping her. Ugh. And, like, she has to, like smooth talk her way out of the situation.
2: You know what they say about men who hang around ladies' (laughs) lavatories.
0: What do they say about men who hang around
2: ladies' lavatries? They're asking to have their illusions shattered.
1: What a British way of saying, like, women poop. (laughs) I mean, seriously. Mm -hmm. Let's fast forward real fast. we got to cover this ending, because what an
0: ending. Like, well, I mean, also... That has Helen Mirren's best outfit, like <laughs> the feathers. I mean, it's the feathers, but it's also like, I don't, wh- how do you want to describe what <laughs> she's wearing? It's like a feather collar, right? Well, I don't know if that's at the end, but the, it's somewhere near the end when she has that huge, like vampire feather collar. Yeah. But it, is it at the that's very not the last one? Is it the last one? See, what I'm thinking of is, like, it's got, like, the leather straps that, like, go around her body. And Uh it's got the long train that there's literally someone someone having to carry. Oh, yeah. That's the the feather one. Okay, yeah. And she has, like,
1: a feather hat as well with one feather that really sticks
0: out and, like, dangles.
1: (laughs) Sort of like a a lantern fish almost. Yeah.
0: Uh, Uh, But it's also, like, a big feathery collar with just, like, leather like vertical and horizontal like (sighs) straps or stripes or whatever with a full train i mean like someone has to carry it as if she was like a a bride like a 12 foot train (laughs) it's it's so long enormous but it also just kind of looks like bands of electrical tape that someone has to carry behind her it's pretty bananas it's a look it's a look (laughs) it's a lot of look (laughs) But they cook Michael after he's been stuffed full of pages from the French Revolution. Uh, also probably some garlic and onions. Uh, yeah. I mean, he looks
1: bronzed. He looks uh, delicious. There, I'm going to say it. Very
0: succulent. Very juicy. Like a, like a, like a suckling pig, basically. Basically, yeah. B- brown. With, with parsley and broccoli at his side. Especially uh, yeah.
1: cut onions. Like They look like little roses. It's beautiful
0: and they get albert to come to the restaurant they
1: disarm him take his gun i love i love the the passing of the gun because it goes to the cook the cook passes it to the soprano boy yeah and he just passes the gun on to helen mirren's character yeah i love, I love that they're like no no you do it no you do it no you do it and she's the one who's <laughs> this like <is> the, <laughs> the deserving party <laughs> yeah. and then she takes it and she's like
2: you vowed you would kill him and you did and you vowed you would eat him. Now
0: eat him and so at gunpoint, like there's this like full cooked carcass at his oh. dinner table, excruciating. She's like, try the cock first. you know where it's been <laughs> <laughs> ah! uh, and he voms like yeah he 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 gets a fork full, looks at it, vomits. And then, like slow, and it looks succulent. Like it looks cooked to yeah, perfection. Yeah, I, mean,
1: I don't think it was a penis. I think he actually took he, some he, thigh he, meat.
0: I think it was it was love handle area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he, and he and it's excruciating. It goes it's on forever. so long. Like, it. I mean, what's odd is that like Michael Gambon talks so much through the whole movie, yet this part he's totally speechless. Yeah it's nice (laughs) and so like the roles are reversed of him doing all the emoting like it's just him like looking at like the food at the end of the fork and just reacting to it shaking shaking vomiting violently he puts it in his mouth and eats it and then like Georgina shoots him (laughs) And then credits. <laughs> and it, but it plays into like food and class. Like he's a cannibal. So like all the things that he's aspired to do to like be classy and elegant and eat in these fine restaurants and understand this fine food is just diminished by the fact that he's nothing but a cannibal. Yeah.
1: Because he doesn't deserve it. And he's proved throughout the movie he doesn't deserve these things he has. Mm-hmm. And... To have um, Helen Mirren be the quote-unquote leader of this group of people, all kitchen workers who are all behind her, who have helped make this the The feast. proletariats of the
0: movie. Yeah, and yeah.
1: it's, it's saying, like, fuck you, you're, you're feasting on us, you're not supporting us, which, you know, if you're in the restaurant industry, you think that, like, patrons and owners are the people that are helping you, mm-hmm. but uh, it's a lie. <laughs> It's a lie. It really is. Like yeah. these are the they're bloodsuckers and they deserve to die because they're cannibals. There, the end.
0: <laughs> da, 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 da. Bah! Watching this movie on Friday, I was just all giddy and excited and I was like, I cannot wait to talk about this. This is exactly what this podcast was built no, to talk I about. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> so I thought you had seen this movie for a long time Mm-mm. because when we dated, I'd already seen this movie. And you wanted to see The Pillow Book. Mm-hmm. And this is usually the movie that if Peter Greenway is on your radar, you usually watch this and then other things. So me thinking that you had seen this dates back to 2008 or 7 or whenever it was that we dated. I just assumed that you had already seen the, this movie. And it wasn't until like we started this podcast you're like, yeah, no, I haven't seen that one. It was just your lust for Ewan McGregor that uh, made you sidestep the usual. I wasn't interested in directors. I was
1: interested in seeing Ewan McGregor's pee pee. Yeah, which all you can eat Which you got it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, uh, sometime during the podcast, you mentioned that you hadn't seen this movie. I was like, well, I'm going to have to do that at some point. And it wasn't until last Friday where I was like, oh my God, how was this not like episode three?
1: Well, season 17 is now in the can. What are we going to do to start off season 18, Matt?
0: The name of the movie is a little arty, and so I can never remember... (laughs) If it's Purple Noon or Purple Moon. Oh. And it is Purple Noon. 1960s French film. It is based on a book that has been turned into a movie that we have covered on the podcast. Don't look it up. Just watch the movie and let let the realization overwhelm you okay Okay. this is a a french version of a of a movie that we've we've covered previously and honestly the lead male in this might be the most beautiful male we have ever covered on this podcast everyone
1: keeps saying that what's his name again something
0: alain uh uh, uh, alan delane alain delane Uh, 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 along those lines something like that yeah which I've seen him in other movies, and I didn't think he was that attractive. He's cute, but like not like lustworthy. This movie, I have trouble reading the subtitles when his shirt isn't on. He might be the most perfect man, look-wise. Can't wait. So, purple, boom. <laughs> noon.
1: Cur- purple purple moon. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Here we go. It's purple noon. noon. Like 12 p.m. Right and it's purple
0: yeah got it
1: yeah well why don't we stop yammering about movies and start yammering about ourselves by plugging our junk and getting the fuck out of here a great way to support the podcast if you haven't done it already is give us some stars or review on apple podcasts or audio or overcast wherever you get your podcast we love those reviews they really help us Realize that people are listening, it gives us a thrill, and it helps
0: make the podcast more recognizable for other people. You can find us on Facebook at Rated X Movies, you can find us on Twitter at X Rated Movies, and you can find us on the Gmail, x.rated.movies at gmail.com, if you haven't already gone to our website, which is xratedmovies.com. That's right. And if you
1: feel like getting a little extra out of your X rated buck, why don't you throw us some bucks and uh, join our Patreon? Because, you know what? We're putting uh, content out all the time, every other week, basically. And it's all, like, current things. that you, Did you could... say every other week? Well, yeah, t- twice oh, a month. Oh, on the Patreon. I was like,
0: we're putting out episodes weekly. No, no, no. We put out free stuff once a
1: week. But we also put out bonus content every other week. Yeah. So, yeah, you could, you could get a little more of us if you could. I would also recommend getting on board before Christmas. All right. In two weeks, we're doing Purple Noon. So, until then, keep reaching for that rainbow.